This episode is brought to you by the Podcast Services Division at Life's Tough Media. Having your own podcast allows you to creatively reach all types of audiences, from clients to prospects, to your most loyal membership base. And by utilizing studio affiliates located around the world, coupled with quality remote recording capabilities, Life's Tough Media makes having a corporate podcast easier than ever before. Contact us for a no-obligation consultation at info at lifestuff.com or visit lifestuff.com to learn more. Welcome to Life's Tough. You can be tougher. I'm Dustin Planalt, your host. This is a show about life, and it's about our purpose. It's about the stories that we all have. Today's guest has quite the story. In our conversation that you're about to hear, Pastor Greg says that taking time to connect with others has always been a driving force in his life. He's been an evangelist and a pastor for 40 years. He's authored 70 books, including The Upside Down Church, Raised Two Children, and now he and his wife, enjoy life with their grandchildren. He encourages listeners not to put him or any other pastor or leader on a pedestal, but to remember we're all just human. Let's welcome him on now. Pastor Greg, welcome to the show. Dustin, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for joining us. You know, it's interesting. I've been watching you for many years, Pastor Lori, and I must say that that in this world that we live in, everything does come with a cost. And I imagine being somebody that each and every week that either you're on stage or you're talking to a group of people, that it must come with a cost. So talk about that. Well, Jesus said, if any man wants to follow me, he needs to deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. But then he goes on to say, whoever will seek to save his life will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. So anything that has value has a cost. And there is a cost to be a leader. <laughs> You give up, well, anonymity to some degree. Uh, you give up a lot of your time because you don't, you know, clock in and clock out. You, if you're really called to be a pastor or minister to people, you know, come, people will come to you throughout your day, throughout your night in the most unexpected places. But that's effectively what one signs up for. And, you know, after I became a Christian, Dustin, I felt a calling to ministry, and you have to understand it was never my hope or aspiration to be a public speaker. I was a behind-the-scenes guy. I liked to draw cartoons. I was hoping to be a graphic artist, which I did for the first few years of my ministry, and then I began to speak a little bit in the side, and then it reversed, and I ended up being a pastor who occasionally did graphics, and then I became a full-time pastor and evangelist. But yeah, there are things that, that I've given up. I mean, there's strange things that come with the turf. I've, I've had threats against my life for as long back as I can remember, viable, real threats. Uh, I've had, you know, you have things said about you that aren't true. And now with social media, you know, people can just pretty much make up anything and post it. And, and that's very frustrating. But I think of the words of the evangelist D.L. Moody, who said, if I take care of my... Uh, personal life, my integrity, God will take care of my reputation. So I don't really spend a lot of time worrying about that. 
but you know, one wants to be a good example and one wants to do everything they can to bring people to Christ. But my wife felt called to the ministry with me and we have two sons. One is in heaven. One is in ministry now. And both of our sons rebelled against it because, you know, when you're the son of a pastor, uh, there's a lot of unrealistic expectation placed upon the child. Oh, are you going to be a pastor like your dad when you grow up? They'll ask these guys when they're little kids. And so both my sons rebelled, but both of them returned to the Lord. And in fact, as I mentioned, my uh, younger son, Jonathan, is now a pastor at our church. So, you know, as I look at the costs that I've paid over the years, there has been one. I don't talk about it very often because it can sound self-serving, but there is a cost. And, and, you know, you carry the burden of all these things with you. And, and, you know, ultimately it's the Lord's responsibility, but he's called you to be a shepherd over a flock and a representative of him. But I would also add whatever I've given up for Jesus is far more made up to me than what he has given to me. You know, that's a great insight. You know, and I also look at it from a perspective of that this cost you bear is one that it does put you in front of the spotlight around the world, which does come with its own cost, in that people will want more from you than sometimes you're able to give. I mean, there's only so many hours in your day, and I imagine that it must be very hard for some people that if they don't get your attention, you don't respond back to an email, that they then make judgments. So how do you manage that aspect? Because fame does come with a cost. And while you're not saying, hey, Dustin, I'm famous, you and I both know lots of famous people who are famous— that that does come with a cost. Well, it does. And, you know, people, I think, sometimes get unrealistic, unrealistic expectations of a person. Um, but I, I do the best I can. And sometimes I fall short, uh, maybe more than sometimes. But, um, you know, people come up to me wherever I am, uh, where, you know, and, and have questions or something to say. And generally, I would say people are very nice. Sometimes people are critical. Uh, sometimes they yell at you. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't happen too often, though, honestly. But, you know, you just do what you can. You know, because, like, I've written this book about Billy Graham. And the thing I really appreciated about Billy Graham is when people approached him, and I was with him many times when we were having lunch or doing something else, and people would come up to him. He paused. He took time for them. He talked to them. And it was a great example because Billy had megawatt fame. He had the fame of a movie star or, you know, someone like that. But yet he handled it so well and was very gracious to people. And so I think that that was a great example for me. But I think for people that are listening, you know, you must realize that the people that are called leadership, they're they're people just like you. They have good days. They have bad days. I've had people come up to me at the market. Greg, why aren't you smiling? I'm shopping. Why aren't you smiling? Like, (laughs) I'm supposed to have a perpetual smile plastered on my face. You know, so people need to understand that these pastors, these leaders, these others you may look up to, they're just human beings and uh, pray for them. And and don't don't put them on pedestals and realize that when the day is done, they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you. They need Jesus just like you. They fall short just like you. Wow, that's that's great insight. You know, another thing that I've seen, and you and I again, we know lots of super successful people, is that throughout their life they'll set goals, and sometimes those goals will, will keep them will keep them focused, but it also keeps them distracted from certain things around you 
that are the obvious or, or the common sense. So in your own journey, what has been your own aha moment as maybe some things that you got distracted along the way that didn't see and maybe it took you some time to see it? Well, I would say, you know, one has to remember what your priorities are. Well, my priorities are first and foremost to God, following him, seeking to honor and glorify him with my life. But number two is my family. And I've always placed a high priority on that because I've seen families neglected when people are called into ministry. Of course, it's true. People in business or any other career, uh, they, they can put the career above their family. And I've never wanted to do that because I remember reading an interview that uh, President George H.W. Bush did, and they asked him, what is your greatest accomplishment? And I thought, well, that's a pretty good question for a guy that was vice president, president, head of the CIA, and much more. And he said, my greatest accomplishment is my children still come home to see me on the holidays. And I thought, that's a great insight. You know, so I've, I've always put my family first. I, I've, of course, fallen short. And, and, you know, but it's something I'm aware of. And it's just something that one must, must constantly be aware of. Because being in ministry is not, to me, a job. It's a calling. And it should be a passion. And I suppose the day I stop having that passion for it, and it just becomes a job, then that's when I should probably stop doing it. But I have a greater passion and excitement in doing what I do today than I had when I first started. So it's only grown with the passing of time. So it sounds like you're still having fun, but I also go kind of go back to yeah. that, you know, in any relationship and, and just in life in general, that people get the best of you and people ultimately get the worst of you. And in today's day and age in COVID, mm -hmm. that we're not getting the best of each other. And I'm sure you're getting all the stories submitted mm -hmm. around the world. So talk to the people out there, the people who are disenfranchised, maybe they're their leader on TV, some either a televangelist or a minister, let them down and they've been they've been frustrated or maybe yeah. their local pastor let them down talk to those people well here's a simple truth of life people will let you down so are you going to build your relationship with god on a person or are you going to build it on christ himself he is the foundation that we build our lives on like being in ministry for almost 50 years i've seen everything i've pretty much heard everything I've seen people that disappointed me privately, that impressed me publicly, and I've seen people that impressed me publicly, that impressed me even more privately. You know, as the years pass, I find I'm more impressed with um, character than charisma. You know, because I've met charismatic people that really can wow an audience, but then privately, you just see, wow, this is the person that has their priorities out of whack. So. Look, people are going to let you down. Everybody has feet of clay. Your pastor, your favorite preacher you listen to in podcasts or watch in television or whatever. But uh, so what? You know, Jesus did not say, follow my people. He said, follow me. And Jesus was never a hypocrite. Jesus has never contradicted what he said to me. Jesus has kept all of his promises to me. So when I gave my life to Christ years ago, I signed up to follow Jesus, not follow people. So certainly there have been people that have greatly impressed me, and I've spent time with. Billy Graham's one of them. That's why I wrote a book about him. People like Chuck Swindoll, people like Alan Redpath, many, many others that you would know that I've met and hung out with and would think, wow, what a great man of God that is. What a great woman of God that is. 
and then some that, you know, didn't impress me as much, but I would never bring their names up or say anything about them because uh, we're all works in progress, aren't we? You know, that's a beautiful message that we are all works in progress. You know, having the opportunity to meet people around the world, the thing that I have found even among billionaires, the thing that they desire and want most is their peace, is to be able to maintain it and keep it. And that many people find that once they've reached that place in success where they set the goal and the dream, I'm going to get there, they still don't have their peace. Why is that? Well, because you have to know where to get peace. You get peace from God. You know, the message of the angels on the first Christmas to the shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night was glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among men with whom God is well pleased. If you want to have peace in your heart, the Bible describes a peace that passes human understanding that comes from a relationship with God. Before you can have the peace of God, you have to have peace with God. So if you're fighting with God, if you're running from God, if you're disobeying God, you won't have peace. But if you're walking with God and knowing God, you will have peace. You know, no object is going to give you that peace. I mean, there's a certain kind of excitement that comes from getting something new and shiny, be it technology or a car or an outfit or a house or whatever it is I guess you're buying. But that will fade quickly. Uh, so one must remember that the ultimate peace and fulfillment comes not in what you have. It comes from who you know. That's a beautiful way to put it. And recently uh, we interviewed uh, Pat Robertson and I, and I asked him, you know, as you know, his age. I said, are you not afraid to die? And he said, of course I'm not afraid. Why would I be afraid of that? You know, you got to spend time with Billy Graham, and I imagine the same thing he had was not having that fear. Talk to the people around the world right now that, that are either experiencing that fear and COVID hasn't helped. Uh, it has is, it is reminded everybody mortality and morbidity are for certain. Talk to them regarding fear. Well... You know, the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of every one person's will die. There's no getting around it. But really, the question is not about death. It's what happens after death. And according to the Bible, there's eternity. And there's an afterlife. And there's both a heaven and there is a hell. It is God's desire that everybody would go to heaven. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and rise again from the dead. And if we put our faith in Jesus, he'll forgive us, and we can know that we'll go to heaven when we die. If we reject that opportunity, if we reject his promises, we effectively are sealing our own faith. God doesn't send people to hell. We send ourselves there. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that a Christian has a death wish. I don't know of anyone who loves life more than a Christian. You know, the Bible says God has given us all things richly to enjoy. So I think a Christian can enjoy the simple pleasures of life, like a great meal, time with friends, a beautiful sunset, all the things that God has given us more than anybody. We don't need drugs. We don't need alcohol to get that peace or that experience. We have it from our relationship with God. So it's not like we're walking around saying, I hope I I die today, because we love life. But having said that, we know death will come, and we don't have to live in fear of death, because At the cross and the resurrection, the Bible says Jesus took the stinger out of death, you know. So I was uh, walking down the beach the other day with my wife, and there were bees all over the beach. 
And she said, careful, Greg, you'll step on a bee. I said, I won't step on a bee. And I stepped right on a bee. Oh, no. And it hurt. <laughs> I, I screamed, ow, ran to the lifeguard. I think he looked like he was 14 years old. He didn't have much to help me with. But, um, but you know, my foot swelled, swelled up a little bit. But that bee had stung its last person. It gets one shot at using the stingers. Well, Jesus took the stinger of the bee, if you will, on himself so we don't have to face it. So, yes, death comes. But the sting is gone because we know when a Christian dies, they go straight to heaven. When we take our last breath on earth, we take our first breath in heaven. When we close our eyes on earth, we open them in heaven. That's a great way of putting in terms of giving people that are looking for that message their their peace back is to give them the reminder. Now, retirement, do you ever see it in your future? Uh, Well, you know, no, I don't. I don't find the word retirement in the Bible. Others transition, you know, you maybe are doing your work a little differently later in life, but how am I going to retire from a calling God has put on my life? Moses basically got started with this ministry when he was 80 years old. (laughs) So I'm 68 years old, and I see a lot of guys that live long, are living long lives, and are still preaching. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, I mentioned him already. Yeah. Charles Stanley, David Jeremiah, uh, some of them in their late, well, actually, they're all in their 80s now. Uh, Billy effectively kept preaching almost until he was 90. Remarkable. So, you know, I figure I've got some good years left to me, uh, God willing. And so, you know, I may not always do exactly what I'm doing today, but I'll always be sharing the gospel with people and hopefully still preaching in some way, shape, or form. You know what? Also, Pastor Laurie, that while we never—this is not a show where we talk about politics, we still have a nation that is divided. You know, talk to the Christians out there. Talk yep. to the ministers, the, the people in leadership, to, to help them bring the tribe back in, to unite around our president, even though yep. they may not have voted for him. He's our president, and he should get our respect. We should want him to succeed. We shouldn't want to humiliate him. We shouldn't want to shame him. We should we should want people to come together, right? Yeah, that's true. You know, but I would say this, you know, a, a Christian, as an American, we have the right to speak our mind. We have the right to critique even the president. Uh, they're elected by us to serve us. That's the people's house that they live in, not their house, called the White House. And so I think we need to get out there. We need to be involved in the political process. We need to register. We need to vote. But having said that, my primary cause is not politics. Uh, my primary cause is Christ. And, you know, in our congregation, I speak to people on both sides of the political aisle. And I want to continue to reach everyone I can for the gospel. And, and you know, I told the folks uh, when the election was happening, I talked about the issues. I talked about what I thought they should be aware of, what the Bible said about certain issues, etc. But once the election was done, or before it was decided, of course, there was a little time there where there was still some question as to whether that election was going to be the final word. And I told the people, I will pray for whoever is elected president. And when it was confirmed, I prayed for President Biden. People criticized me for it. But, you know, I would have done the same if President Trump had won again. And so the point is that that's what I'm commanded to do in Scripture. And I think some Christians get so fired up about politics on either side of the aisle, and it distracts them from their primary calling uh, as a Christian. You know, we, we do have citizenship in America, and that is a privilege. But our greater citizenship 
is in the kingdom of heaven. So we need to realize what our true priorities ought to be. That's that's great counsel, I mean, Pastor Lori. What I've seen about you from your ministry is one that you are about uniting. You allow people to think what they want, feel yeah. what they want, but you ultimately give them a message that says, "Look, where is your foundation built? Build your foundation strong, yeah. and don't worry about the rest of it." So, talk about your new book uh, that you that you have uh, in, in in a memory of Billy Graham. I mean, one of the greatest icons, um, leaders, uh, I would say, that have ever walked the face of the earth. Right. Well, I would say that I really learned that principle from Billy Graham more than any other person. You know, Billy Graham was a bridge builder, not a bridge burner. And, and he was a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. I think he was always trying to bridge the gap. Um, uh, here's a guy who was a personal pastor to every president from Truman Wow on to even uh, Barack Obama, who came to visit him at his home in Montreat, North Carolina. And Billy Graham knew Donald Trump as well. Uh, Donald Trump was at Billy Graham's 95th birthday party uh, before he ran for the presidency. So here's a man that's, you know, had a relationship with every president, going back to Truman. That's just unbelievable. And, uh, and you know, there are Democrats and Republicans. Billy was very close with Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush and George H.W. Bush but he was also very close with, uh, with LBJ and, uh, and others. And President Kennedy, he had a relationship with him and Clinton. He was close to President Clinton. So Billy was there to be a representative of Jesus Christ. And so I wanted to tell the story of this man that I got to know very well, because as Billy was ending his ministry, I was starting mine, and I mean my evangelistic ministry, where I was starting to do crusades, much like the Crusades he did. And so Billy became aware of me. We became friends. He asked me to join his board of directors. I've been on that board for 25 years now. And he asked me to help him with the sermons, uh, especially in the area of illustration and reaching a younger audience. So uh, I was working on his messages, which meant that we spent a lot of time together. We meals together. We hung out together. So I also took advantage of that time and picked his brain and got to know him and and asked him tons of questions because he was like Mr. History. I mean, this is a man who knew people I read about. He 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 met with Winston Churchill. Wow. He knew Golda Meir, the prime minister of Israel. He met C.S. Lewis. I just quote C.S. Lewis. Uh, you know, he, he knew all of these presidents that I already mentioned. He, he Muhammad Ali came to his home for lunch. Bono came to his home uh, to meet with him and read poetry to Billy's wife, Ruth. So... I had so many questions about these people and his ministry and sort of things that were important to him. And so, you know, some things are taught and some things are caught. So there are things I learned from listening to him preach, but there's also things I learned from watching him and learning from him. And he was the same man privately that he was publicly. So considering the fact that, in my opinion, he was the greatest evangelist of all time, apart from the apostle. Uh, should we not introduce him to a new generation? So that's what I thought to do. There's Be- a lot of books message. on Billy, uh, a lot of books that have a lot more detail, but this is my personal experience with Billy, getting to know him privately. I, I try to sh- reveal some things about him you may not have known, to humanize him. I mean, he's been placed on a pedestal, and he is, was a, a great leader and a great Christian, but he was human like us. 
But as I got to know him, I have to say he was the most godly man I ever met. Wow, that that's a story. And what would he call you? Did he call you any? Was there any nickname he gave you? <laughs> no nickname. He called me Greg. But uh, you know, I would call him Doctor Graham, and he'd say, "Call me Billy," and I'd say, "Okay, Doctor Graham, let me ask you this." <laughs> it took me a long time to get comfortable calling him Billy because you know, in the South, they're Billy and they're Johnny, and, and you know, they they love to add wise to names, and and to me, it seemed almost too casual to call someone Billy. I mean, that would be kind but of that's... weird, right? Like, how do I just call Billy Graham Billy? Like, it, it just doesn't seem to work. Yeah, it, it was weird. It took me a while. To do it, so when I was around his team members, I would call him Doctor Graham because that's what they called him. But when I was with them privately, I called him Billy because he asked me to. And but you know, even when though I was with them and I became relatively comfortable, I never forgot the fact that I, you know I'm sitting across the table from this great man of God, and you know, so I I was always very aware of the fact that this is Billy Graham I'm talking to right now but but it was a great privilege to get to know him and so i wanted to share what what it was like to know him and what he was like and i think we can all use a good example right now of a man who started and finished his race well so what do you think billy would say right now in this world dr graham would say to those out there and then also in his mind who was the toughest person he's ever known well i think he would say Put your faith in Christ. Follow Jesus. You know, he would be the first to say, don't follow me. But uh, and, and he would tell us we should have hope. And he was always preaching about hope. And, and he would tell us to be prepared for the afterlife. And he talked about that a lot as well. He would point us to Christ. That was always the message in the ministry of Billy Graham. As far as the toughest person he ever met, he met some very tough people. He had some very harsh critics. But but the amazing thing with Billy is in time, he would win them over. Uh, not everyone, of course, but many of them. And so I think that was a great quality that he had. And and he treated people with great kindness and, and had a very open heart to want to uh, build bridges of friendship to people. And I think that's one of the reasons why he was so successful for so many decades. Thank you again for sharing your story. Life's tough. Billy Graham was tougher. Thanks again, Pastor Lori. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Greg, for sharing your story. You know, Billy Graham once said, you cannot pray for someone and hate them at the same time. I challenge you to make peace with them. You've now heard Pastor Greg share his story. If you want to tell yours, contact us at info at lifestuff.com. That's I-N-F-O at L-I-F-E-S-T-O-U-G-H dot com. And never forget, life's tough. You are tougher. Have a great week, everyone.